In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You might as well have been a friendly alien thrown upon the rocks of our planet to help us find our way to the impossible possibility that we are loved. Those words were written not of Jesus, but of Mr. Rogers by a journalist named Tom Genode in the Atlantic this December's issue. What would Mr. Rogers do is the title of the article. I read it on an airplane. Personally, I was too old for Mr. Rogers. His show came on the air in 1968, by which time I was 13 and done with children's television. Eddie Murphy and Johnny Carson's late night impersonations of him made me laugh, and that was all I knew. Along with the rest of the country, I'm getting to know him now in hindsight through last year's documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, and this year's movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. In both, we learn about this writer, Tom Genode, whose life Mr. Rogers changed by being kind. This happened in 1998 when Esquire magazine assigned him to write a story on Mr. Rogers, a short profile for a special American Heroes issue. At the time, Genode was a 40-year-old reporter who had built his reputation by knocking big shots off their high horse. Mr. Rogers seemed ripe for exposure. Surely his niceness was an act and Tom was just the reporter to bring that truth to light, capable, he says, of silken cruelties committed in the name of revelation. He was assigned the story, he remembers, because one of the editors at Esquire thought it would be amusing to have me, with my stated determination to say the unsayable, write about the nicest man in the world. One interesting thing he found out also came as a surprise to me. In Fred Rogers' closet, there was a preacher's gown. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister. So Tom began to ask him heavy, grown-up questions. In the news, another shooter had attacked a school. If God is love, why this evil? Fred replied with a grown-up, seminary-educated answer. God is constrained in his dealings with the world by some of his own commitments to it. If there is such a thing as a dark corner of God's nature, Mr. Rogers wrote Tom on October 25, 1998, then I think it is God's refusal to go back on the promise of the creation's freedom to love or not. Against his producer's advice, Mr. Rogers was open to the Esquire interview. He sat for one and then another and, and then another. And finally, the hidden truth came out, unearthed. 
but the tables had been turned. As Tom scratched for dirt on Mr. Rogers, Fred was digging for gold in Tom. He knew he would find it. When he did, Tom said, his heart, which had felt like an iron spike, opened like an umbrella. This happened in a prayer. As for Mr. Rogers, his deepest secret was his kindness, born of his belief in children. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. A child is that treasure. Empty the bank to buy that field. And what Faulkner said about the past, he applied to childhood. No matter our age, our childhood isn't dead, and it isn't even past. Give me a forecast with a 60% chance or more of snow, and I feel the truth of this. That night, my nose is pressed to the window, squinting my eyes, looking for flakes falling through the streetlight. In the middle of the night, I wake up, because I'm almost 65. But it's the child in me that goes back to the window to check again. And when I see white in the trees and on the streets, it might as well be Christmas. We know that children need our love, and that, no questions asked, we owe it to them. Those children we were still live within us, and they need our love. Mr. Rogers felt, no questions asked, that we owe it to them. Tom Genode remembers, a long time ago, a man of resourceful and relentless kindness saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He trusted me when I thought I was untrustworthy and took an interest in me that went beyond my initial interest in him. Fred Rogers found his way to Tom the man through Tom the child. And what Fred had given Tom was Christmas. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He might as well have been a friendly alien thrown upon the rocks of our planet to help us find our way to the impossible possibility that we are loved. Impossible possibility, that rings a bell. Madeline Langle called Christmas the glorious impossible. Poets love a paradox 
For thinkers, they can be a problem. One can't believe in impossible things, protested Alice in Wonderland. The crazy queen bragged or tweeted, why, when I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. She got many likes for that. Thomas Aquinas would side with Alice. According to him, there are two kinds of constraint on God, the logical and the self-imposed. Logically, a thing is either possible or not. It can't be both. And even God can't make it otherwise, any more than God can make one plus one be anything but two. Here's an Aquinas counter-tweet. Faith is reason's helpful sister, not its crazy cousin. The Christmas story shines with wondrous occurrences. To Aquinas, its wonders are easily believable considering their source. As humans, we live with physical constraints. For example, you and I can't make anything from nothing, nor can we raise the dead. According to Aquinas, limits like these do not apply to God. When Gabriel told Mary what was coming, Mary was bewildered. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Mary is mindful of Alice's objection. One can't believe in impossible things. But Gabriel knows that this is biology, not logic. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. No one who knows me will be surprised that watching those Mr. Rogers films, I had to keep my hanky handy. At mo movies, I tune up. It's odd, because my ministry has been almost the opposite of his. His specialty was feelings, mine is thought. He reached out and touched the child and grown-ups. I draw out the grown-up and the child. He taught through puppets, Daniel and King Friday. I preached through scholars, Aquinas, Karl Barth. We are following the same star. At the University of Chicago, a student asked Karl Barth if he could summarize his faith in just one sentence. Barth's book is 31 volumes in the German. With a faraway look, Barth answered with a memory. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Cradling him in her lap, his mother used to sing it to him. Jesus loves me. At Sewanee in the summer to a room full of grown-up thinkers, high school-aged, I would ask a question. What kind of claim is Jesus loves me, fact or value? Fact, someone would say, and I would agree. What do we need to support a claim? Evidence, another one would say, correctly. What evidence has Bart invoked? Several hands go up. The Bible. 
And that will open a lively discussion and some debate about the evidence of Scripture, the type of book it is, the nature of its truth, and its authority. That is faith at school. Drawing from Aquinas and Bard and such, I then interpret Scripture's interplay of evocative myth and astonishing fact, its treasury of heavenly truth in human vessels. Here we sang that heavenly truth two nights ago, poetically. Love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, star and angels gave the sign. What is love? I asked my teenage thinkers. And one who remembers raises her hand. According to Aquinas, love is a belief, a desire, an act. I love you when I believe that your good is as important as my own and when I desire it for you and when I act in such a way that you should have it. Yes, I say, a perfect answer. And it came down at Christmas, all lovely and divine, because with God such things are possible. I believe it. From childhood on, I have felt entirely free to question it. As a scholar, I am familiar with the arguments against it. They don't persuade me. I believe it. And more than that, I have faith in it. Like love, faith is a desire, a belief, an act. I do believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God, loves pure light. And I desire him nose to the window on a cold, cloudy winter night, hopeful and expectant. Do you want to know the truth? At the age of 65 almost, with more than 40 years in ministry, it is not the believing nor the desiring, but the acting that is still the hard part. I don't always act the truth my heart desires and that my mind believes in. But I will keep on trying, so help me God because faith without work evaporates. So it's one step, two steps forward, two steps, one step back, wobbling sideways, left and right, getting turned around occasionally, but then back on course, following that star. Won't you join me? We don't walk alone. Particles and waves of starlight also shine within us. As a theologian put it, at the heart of the original creation is that word, call it love, call it grace, call it peace, that essence which is lodged somewhere within each of us that longs for ultimate expression. If we choose to allow it to grow, we will be given help. Do you know who said that? Two clues. It wasn't Aquinas, and it wasn't Bart. Let's listen again. 
At the heart of the original creation is that word. Call it love. Call it grace. Call it peace. That essence which is lodged somewhere within each one of us that longs for ultimate expression. If we choose to allow it to grow, we will be given help. I'll give you one guess. 